Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. I am very excited to have as a guest on this episode of History of Estonia podcast, Dr. David Fest of Hamburg University. Dr. Fest specializes in Eastern European history and specifically Estonia. Greetings, Dr. Fest. Hello. Tere. Estonia had been fought over and traded back and forth amongst its neighbors for over 700 years. And whether it was Sweden, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, or Russia, the ruling class in Estonia was always the Baltic Germans. Who are the Baltic Germans, and how did they get to the Baltics in the first place? Well, um, the immigration of this Baltic German upper class in Estonia was really a consequence of the Crusades. Um, in early 13th century, these Crusades began to go in new directions. Uh, it no longer was necessary to take a long trip to the Near East, to the Holy Land, but there was always uh, also the possibility then to go to the Northeast. Uh, and there, uh, the aim was uh, to Christianize the pagan population, at least that's what they said. And the Crusaders carried that out with quite great brutality. So um, on the territory of today's Estonia, there were a couple of Finno-Ugric tribes living there, and they were all subjugated in the course uh, of, of this crusade. And uh, there was a state formed um, that followed this, um, uh, which was the Livonian Order State, which is also sometimes simply called Old Livonia. So these crusaders were followed by still other people from the German lands. And um, many of them became the rulers on the countryside. More Germans went to the newly founded cities uh, to work as merchants, and still others were part of the clergy. So you see, you have some kind of an immigrant upper class uh, that had, you, you could say from today's point of view, certain ethnic features. It was a German-speaking upper class that dominated a lower class that spoke preforms of today's Estonian. And the local peasants soon became serfs. Um, other locals went to the cities, but there they were excluded from trading activities and they could not become members in most of the guilds. So they were second class also and did more the simple uh, uh, work there. Uh, now, there are two things that have to be said about the Baltic Germans as a group. First is um, that these Germans soon had only little connection with Germany, and that there was very little sense of togetherness with the German lands either. The Baltic Germans, as a rule, identified very strongly with the land they inhabited. Um, and. Uh, the second important thing is uh, that uh, ruling this area, they enjoyed a great autonomy throughout the centuries. Um, and 
you hinted to it uh, in the introduction already that the rule in this area changed very often and the history is sometimes quite confusing. That the Baltic lands were contested for centuries long and, and there was Denmark involved in Poland, Lithuania and Russia conquered parts of it and later the whole and the same is true for Sweden. Um, but um, in all these arrangements, these uh, Baltic German, uh, the Baltic German leadership managed to retain a, a great autonomy. Um, so, for instance, under Russian rule, after the Baltic region was conquered by Peter the Great in the Great Northern War uh, in the 18th century, um, the Baltic leadership could at least in the first centuries, do practically whatever it wanted. Um, but in return, it was deeply loyal to the Russian Empire, whose subjects they were. Uh, and indeed, many went to St. Petersburg and became very successful in Russia's higher bureaucracy. So when talking about Baltic Germans, you always have to Keep in mind that the autonomy was bigger than most other upper classes enjoyed. And that on the other hand, especially in the Russian time, the loyalty to the Tsar was quite central also to their self-image. What was the relationship between the Baltic German elites and the Estonians throughout the centuries? Which points of hostility existed? And where were the relationships cordial? Well, first and foremost, uh, it must be said that, of course, it was a relationship of oppression. You know, Estonian peasants worked for the Germans and had little, uh, if none, opportunity for social advancement. Um, uh, and, and that was the situation for quite a few centuries, even. Uh, um, even after the serfs were uh, liberated after the abolition of serfdom in the early 19th century, um, Estonians could not rise up very high on the social ladder. And the same thing remained true in the cities, um, where the so-called un-Germans had little chance of advancement. Um, so it's easy to tell this story as a story of conflict. Um, uh, since the 13th century, by the way, there were peasant uprisings again and again. Um, in some cases, they even spread to the whole Estonian settlement area. Um, one very important early example um, uh, is, is a, an, an uprising in 1343 to 45, uh, where Many Finno-Ugric tribes um, tried combined uh, to shake off the foreign rule, um, which uh, they did not succeed. But uh, it was an, an early um, example of of some kind of unity uh, among these tribes, and the Teutonic order that was in charge by them. Um, they could not defeat that rebellion without Danish help. Um, so, so the Danish uh, played a part in Estonian history as well. 
And in the following centuries, also peasants reveled again and again uh, against these conditions they were living in. Uh, one of the last examples is, is um, in 1905, uh, in connection with the 1905 revolution, um, that peasants burned down manors uh, and um, and made some upheaval against against the, the manor lords, the Baltic Germans. Now, this was not as extreme in Estonia in the Estonian settlement era as it was in the Latvian one, um, but still, uh, it, it's something that um, remained very vivid in, in collective memory. Um, this uprising again uh, could only be put down by Cossacks uh, that came from Russia and that the, the Baltic Germans called for help. Um, uh, and um, yes, um, so so that was probably the the low point in the relations between Baltic Germans and Estonian in in modern times. However, this is only part of the story. The relationship was also paternalistic. So um, the Baltic Germans claim to power also included a kind of feeling of responsibility for the peasants, um, of uh, wanting their welfare, uh, not in all situations and not everybody, uh, but it existed. Um, this happened always within the strict limits of the estate state. So it was clear that Estonians were to remain uh, peasants or simple workers. Um, but uh, but still, it, it's an, an important part of the self-image, actually, that Baltic Germans have, um, that they felt responsible for the whole land, not only for their own fate, but also for the fate of, of the, the peasant population. Sometimes this was presented in, in a kind of a colonial sense, like the, the Baltic Germans' burden, uh, that they also had to be responsible for these peasants who couldn't watch after themselves, so to say. Um, but this interest in the lower classes um, also manifested itself in the fact that Baltic Germans began to take uh, a sincere interest in the culture of the peasant peoples. Um, the Estonian was one and, and, and the Latvians was the other one. Yeah, they um, were the first estophiles, right? Uh, excuse me, the first? Estophiles. Yes, um, you, you could say they, they were estophiles before Estonians themselves considered themselves as, as a people. Um, so, so this was especially true for clergymen uh, of the Protestant church and other intellectuals. So they, they would carry out linguistic studies, they would collect folk songs, um, and, and well, somehow they, they dealt with the peasant culture as something that was interesting and attractive to them. And it is a, kind of a paradox uh, that it was precisely in this way, the Baltic Germans actually created a basis for the national movement. The national movement then, the Estonian national movement, which, which developed in the 19th century, um, they aimed precisely at separating Estonian culture from the German culture, make, make, making clear we have our own customs here, we have our own 
stones. Uh, we're developing our, our own literature in the long run and so on. And it has nothing to do with German culture. Um, but still, it would not have been possible if, if these estophiles, as you uh, called them, um, had not done uh, some of that kind of research before. Um, well, I, that'll lead me into the next question, I guess. Uh, Estonian yeah. culture was undoubtedly impacted by German culture. How can we describe the influence of German culture on Estonian culture without denying its own distinctive character? Yeah, that's a, a problem, really, um, because uh, it was important for Estonians in that time already uh, and during the national movement that they considered themselves European. But their national consciousness um, was very much dependent on on the fact that they said we are we are not Germans uh, we are something distinct from Germans so of course it was important for them to play down the German influence on, at least for some uh, proponent proponents of the national movement um, and um, it's Talking about the German influence on Estonian culture um, actually is hard to deny that influence. I mean, this begins with basic things. For instance, the, in, in, a, in a very negative sense, uh, Christianization uh, tried to destroy pre-Christian customs. Right. Um, and, and they were not all successful with that, but it was... It was one of their aims, and it was something that in, in 19th century still that uh, Baltic Germans uh, were proud of that they they had been responsible for Christianization uh, of of these pagan uh, people. Um, and later, however, um, after the country had become Protestant during the Reformation, it was exactly thanks to Protestantism, and especially by the way. Um, thanks to the Helmhutter or Moravian movement, that the Estonian population learned to read and write. And they also learned how to organize themselves better. So the first Estonian language book that was ever printed was a Bible in, in 1739. And Andres Kasselkamp, uh, and I know that he was a visitor in your podcast as well, he writes about this and I quote, in some respects, this religious awakening, particularly its second wave in the 1820s, presaged the national awakening of the 1860s. Um, so, so it is fair to say that um, without this church uh, that was brought to Estonia by the Baltic Germans, that could not have been a national movement uh, because much of this kind of education in, in reading and writing um, and so on um, was something that came from the church. But the main problem, I think, that when we talk about these influences um, is that when I put it this way, it can very quickly sound as if I were to say, that Estonian culture was like a mere product of German Baltic influence. You know, like the, the German, the, the Estonians simply reacted um, to it. 
Um, and I don't think that that's a way that you can talk about culture in general, and in particular, not in, in this case. Um, and it, there's always this question about agency. This is a quite a fashionable term right now. People talk about agency a lot. Um, what is meant by that is the, the, really the capacity or ab ability of people um, to act themselves. And um, in the emphasis, emphasis on such agency in historical accounts, uh, it, it is clear that um, Estonians don't want to be depicted as just some kinds of passive recipients of orders, but that they want to be recognized as an active force in their own history, um, in, in, in a history that really has lasted for centuries. Um, so um, how can we talk about Estonian agency when talking about um, when talking about Baltic German cultural influence. Now, first, it can be said that in, in the Baltic German historiography, like history books, Baltic Germans wrote on Estonians before any Estonian would write uh, his, or his, his own history book about this um, Estonian past. In these Baltic German history books, such an agency was not intended at all. On the contrary, there, it was always the Baltic Germans who did something with Estonians as, as some kind of objects. You know, they subjugated them, they Christianized them, they oppressed them, they liberated them, and so on. Um, and in addition, um, there was this ideology among some Baltic Germans according to which um, the Baltic Germans were just the real bearers of culture. Uh, and according to these writings, uh, the, the Germans uh, had sort of come to this country where there was no culture whatsoever. Um, and then they had been at the giving end, and the Estonians had been on the receiving end, and, and, and uh, had done more and more been civilized and and that makes sense yes yeah um so for me so so this is the story how it has been told by Baltic Germans and this is exactly the the story that most Estonians didn't want to hear anymore um in in my opinion, of course, there is there is now the, the opposite possibility. Some Estonian historians tried that in the 1920s um, in claiming that, yes, we became Europeans, but the Baltic Germans had nothing to do with that. And there were theories about how, how European influence came to Estonia way earlier through Scandinavia and um, uh, that it was really not the Baltic German influence. Um, and of course, that's it's as I said before, it's a problem to, to deny Baltic German influence, but you have to find a different way to talk about that cultural influence. And um, to me, it seems important that um, what I described in Baltic German historiography uh, uses a very narrow concept of culture. Uh, 
here culture appears as something that is uh, sort of carried from one place to another, like, like some kind of an object, uh, and that can simply be passed on to others. You know, Baltic Germans give culture to Estonians. And, and that's a kind of a silly way to talk about culture, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, because, you know, from the very beginning, um, Finno-Ugric tribes, of course, had culture on their own. Um, but, of course, under the influence of, uh, of, of the intruders, they began to adapt the culture of the conquerors. They mixed it with their own culture. Uh, and they used what, what they experienced from them to express their, their own feelings and interests and so on. Um, and um, yeah, there is an, an example I like to I, I, I like to put forth. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had visitors here um, by an Estonian music ensemble, uh, a folkloristic uh, ensemble called Priskele. And among other things, um, what they did was to try to reconstruct how, for example, the, the classic Luther chorales um, uh, might have sounded when Estonian musicians reproduced them with their own instruments, in their own musical style, and, and also in their language. And, and that, that was, for me, such a great example um, of uh, how cultural influence really works. Uh, it's a completely different approach to that idea of cultural transfer where it is given to them. But the Estonians could say, in, in, in order to make them to, to make them appear active, they appropriated uh, the culture that that was uh, that was transferred. They they changed it. They adapted it, um, and that's a long process. Um, and what comes out is something new, but something very Estonian. Um, so in this variant of talking about culture, the Estonians retain their agency. Um, but of course, they absorbed influences. Um, they absorbed content, but also forms and, and techniques. Are, and that's, a, that's a, a, a very natural thing that happens. And it's not typical to Estonian culture, but to any culture, to the Baltic German culture as well. Um, another example I like uh, about this kind of relation in culture um, is, uh, I think it can be very clearly seen in um, the, the song festivals in Estonia. Uh, now they're one of the most important Estonian cultural institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to one. <laughs> Unfortunately, but, I haven't, believe it or not. Well, um, it's it's quite something. Um, and and it's, you cannot doubt that this is part of an Estonian tradition and a very much Estonian thing. Um, but it has often been noted that the organizers actually took their cues from Baltic German song festivals that existed before. Uh, and, and there are even some details where you can where you can see the influence. For instance, the style of polyphonic singing that was unknown to Estonian folk songs before that. Uh, so, so these songs were newly written or at least rearranged um, 
to to be polyphonic like like uh, what the Baltic Germans sang at their song festivals and what was sung in in, in Western Europe um, at at comparable festivals. Um, and also the way of rhyming was adapted to Western European culture. And that culture was known to Estonians through the Baltic Germans. So what do we make of that? Should we say, okay, this is all uh, just fake? Uh, and actually, sound festivals are Baltic German and not Estonian. Uh, not, not Estonian. Is, is, is that what, what we should um, conclude from that? And, and I would say that would be complete nonsense, of course, um, because um, these song festivals, as they have been developed and by Estonians in 19th century, are very Estonian in the sense um, that the, the songs that are sung there bear a special local character. Um, and, and there is something that Estonians regard as their own. Um, and it's not one culture displacing the other, but it's people finding ways for self-expression as a group. And they, they were using the song festivals as a commitment for an idea of national unity and made something completely Estonian out of that. Um, and again, I have to stress that that is not typical for Estonia only, but it's something that happens everywhere. Culture develops through different influences and is in a constant stage of change. That makes sense. Well, since German was considered the upper class in Estonia, why did the Estonians not become Germans in the long run? I mean, in a cultural sense. For a long time, Estonians that climbed the social ladder also became more German in a cultural sense. Some started speaking German at home and embraced German customs, etc. Why didn't this happen? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, actually. Uh, although maybe on first sight, it seems strange now that Estonians could have become German culturally. But um, um, if you look, for instance, uh, at Estonians that managed to um, make a certain social advancement in, the, in that society, uh, actually, that is what happens, especially in the cities. They took advantage of opportunities to move up the social ladder a bit. And by doing though, they mostly um, started adopting the German language and customs. And in other words, you can say that they were more and more becoming German there. And you have many cases like that. And um, even in the early 20th century, um, I, I read in, in, in a history book, an Estonian student when he asked which nationality he belonged to, he replied, well, um, my father was still Estonian, but he worked his way up. And working his way up meant that he was not Estonian anymore, but was German after that. Um, and, but that was a, a more of a social term than, than like an, an ethnic term. Um, but no, the point is, why, why didn't that happen like with the the whole populace uh, in, in that country. Um, and I would say um, the reason was that working one's way up, as described here, 
simply had its limit. Uh, the power always remained in the hand of the German upper class. And um, no one from the Estonian lower class could really hope to, to participate in, in that. You could never rise up that high. Um, and in the second half of the 19th century, this simply could no longer satisfy Estonian um, people. I mean, there were peasant smallholders now uh, that some of them even managed to, to um, become considerably rich. There were by then urban merchants, there were craftsmen, there were Estonian intellectuals. Um, and what were their options? Um, one option was to be satisfied with some kind of a second-rate status in the Baltic German influence estate society in which they could only rise up to a certain degree. And, and that was not enough. That was not enough by then. So and the other option, the alternative, so to say, was to to identify themselves as representatives of an Estonian nation. Um, and that Estonian nation no longer had to bow to the, 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 the rules of the Baltic Germans, uh, but they could, could compete with them. Um, I think that was a central point of the national movement. Um, social conflicts were increasingly fought out on the basic of ethnic distinctions. Uh, and, uh, and the Estonians uh, started calling themselves Estonians and starting to see themselves as a nation that by being a nation had certain rights that they couldn't have before. And it's telling, by the way, that the Baltic Germans, um, it, took, it took the Baltic Germans a long time to refer to Estonians as Estonians. Um, but uh, they called them the nationals, also oh, Latvians, really? uh, and and that was um, that was not a compliment. Um, and they 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 by that time uh, still had little national feelings themselves, uh, but they they uh, would call themselves the Balts, you know, the Balten. So the Baltic Germans were the Balts, but the Estonians and Latvians were the nationals. Uh, that had kind of strange national ideas, uh, which were political. The whole image of Baltic history um, really went into two directions uh, by that point. Baltic Germans still hardly make any serious attempts to include the Estonians as independent, as an independent factor in their historical narrative. Um, but then the Estonians, on the other hand, began to develop a view of history that very much focused on resistance and on, on their striving for freedom. Uh, and you can say that it was like a counter history to Baltic German history. Um, and um, maybe I should add that since you talked about like the, the German cultural influence, uh, on Estonians, of course, that was true, and uh, many early protagonists of the national movement, um, they, they would speak German in their households, because German was simply the language of the educated people. Um, 
but and it um, took on German that, Germanic names as well. Uh, also, that, but that that also has to do with the um, the question how Estonians got their names when they were freed from serfdom, and it was actually just the the um, the, the manor lords, uh, the gentry that, that often simply gave them names. Uh, and so they were often German names because of that. Um, and in, in the 1930s, then many Estonians changed these names uh, by, by Estonifying them, uh, changed the spelling or even changed the whole name into the, the respective Estonian words so they would be real Estonian. Um, but the promotion of the Estonian language was very important also to, to the national movement, also the early national movement. These same guys that spoke German at home promoted Estonian language, and their goal, if we want to use the term again, their goal was to give the Estonian population the agency that had been denied to them before. And you can see that in history writing, but also in all other fields. Um, and, and that separation, really, of, of two images of who are we, um, that remained even when the Baltic Germans lost their power. Uh, and, and that was in the, in the period of the Estonian Republic in 1918 to 1940. Because then the Estonian state was a national state. And uh, for this state, the development of the Estonian nation was the, the main goal. Um, and the Baltic Germans, um, well, they had changed from the leading class to a national minority. Uh, and that was um, hard to stomach for many of them. Um, I mean, the situation wasn't so bad, really, because, uh, first of all, um, they were given the possibility to manage their culture autonomously. So they had their own schools and clubs and so on. And that was a very progressive arrangement, really, at that time that, that the Estonian government took. Also, economically, although they had the feeling that economically they were um, really losing, and the, the owners of the, the manors were uh, um, they suffered under, under the great uh, Land reform, where much was uh, nationalized of what Baltic Germans owned on the land, but still they were economically, um, by and large, quite influential ever still uh, in the industries, for instance. Um, but um, still, for the Baltic Germans, um, of course, becoming a national minority. And you have to consider that by that time, since also many left the country uh, in, in, uh, during First World War or after that, uh, there weren't many left. I mean, there never had been many Baltic Germans. Uh, there was never more than 10% of Baltic Germans um, in, in the whole of the Baltics. But, uh, but now in Estonia, in 1930, for instance, 1.5%. That's that's not a whole lot. No. They, they were quite influential ever still, but but still many felt threatened. Um, and one way really to counter the Estonian national ideology was uh, by their own national ideology. And that was kind of new because um, 
you have to consider that until the First World War, most of the Baltic Germans had not really seen themselves as part of some kind of a large German nation. Um, they had always emphasized their own character as Balts. They had cultural contacts to Germany, of course, but they didn't consider themselves Germans in, in that national sense. Um, and now for many, some kind of reorientation took place. Um, that, that began already during First World War. Uh, some of the Baltic Germans uh, that felt the loss of their power um, and thought that it might be prevented if Germany conquered the Baltic provinces and integrated integrate, uh, the Baltic provinces as a, a duchy into Germany. Um, that was the opposite of what Baltic Germans thought before, uh, where they have been very loyal to the Tsar um, and um, considered themselves to be uh, subjects of the Russian Empire. Um, so, so that there was this kind of turn to to Germany suddenly, and after now the the, the nation state of Estonia was find, founded. Um, there was quite a number of Baltic Germans who um, went to Germany, and um, there were others who at least found some kind of an orientation in Germany. And more and more said, well, actually, here in Estonia, we may be a small minority, but we are part of something way bigger, uh, and, and that is the great German nation. And now you can imagine that uh, after 1933, when, when the Nazis came to power, um, they would start using that immediately and, and um, also start to consider Baltic Germans as part of like the, the large German nation. Um, so when it became clear in 1939 that after the conclusion of the Hitler-Stalin Pact, Estonia would fall to the Soviet Union, for some the decision was not so hard anymore. The German state then offered the Baltic Germans its citizenship and it promised to resettle them in Germany. Um, and most of them did that. Right. Many of them did it with a heavy heart, I should add, no, because maybe in, in that situation, um, they did realize they had, that they had much more in common with their old homeland than with that new fatherland. Um, especially since they were resettled in an area that the, the National Socialist State had just taken from the Poles. So, yes, in a certain sense, you can say that after this resettlement, German, Baltic German history really was over and finished. Uh, that, that was it. And now Estonia was forcibly incorporated into the Soviet Union. Um, Baltic Germans had their own problems to, to handle. Um, so in, in that point, this kind of common history ended. Yes. Well, does it make sense to treat Baltic German history distinctly from Estonian or Latvian? Or do they share a common history? Well, <laughs> um, 
again that's a that's a good question because of course you can have very different opinions about that and what i i try to um describe was how there were actually two kinds of two ways of telling that history for a long time one very old way of telling the history from the baltic german side that really made it a baltic german history with some estonian peasants attached that uh, weren't really important in a historical sense and then there is this counter history by estonians that said well actually this is our country and our history and um, um and that sort of distanced itself from 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 the germans very much uh, up to the point of saying that well the, the cultural influence wasn't really that big um and um i maintain that uh today it is much easier to speak of a common history than it was in the time where uh, talking about this history was talking about power relations really now and during the national movements it was very much about power it was very much about estonians also using history um to gain power that um they felt was rightly theirs because they were the vast majority um, uh, and, and um, they were being denied equal treatment. Um, and for the Baltic German history was very much about power as well, uh, saying, uh, well, we may be very few people. And, and they stressed that during the, the time of, um, of the Estonian Republic, or at least some stressed that and said, said well, this is just a number, um, and the number has no meaning because what we're talking about here is uh, who is really who was culturally important for this region, uh, and, and we were, and you were not. Which, as as I tried to say before, I find nonsense. Uh, but that's how it became. It was hard in that time to really um, talk about a common history. And I think it's, it has become much easier nowadays um, because uh, even Baltic Germans no longer have any claims of ownership. Um, they no longer believe that uh, they can speak for the Estonians. Um, that really has changed tremendously. Estonians have become more friendly with regard to Baltic Germans uh, after the Baltic Germans were gone uh, and what Estonia experienced was uh, Soviet occupation uh, with all its uh, terror and, and and other negative effects. Um, so so in, in hindsight, the Baltic Germans didn't seem so bad anymore. Yeah, they found a new um, enemy. Yes, I mean that often plays a role in uh, who you group together with. But but I think. Um, Another factor really is that the, the, the number of Baltic Germans who really identify as Baltic Germans still um, and who understand Baltic history primarily as a German, Baltic German history, they're decreasing, it's decreasing anyway. Uh, there's hardly anyone left. Uh, right. It's a 
really demographic thing. Uh, the, the generation that has experienced the Baltic states before World War II hardly exists anymore. Now, who will tell the Baltic German history in the future? And um, now, I think, uh, it's, I, I, I don't think that that's very popular among Estonians yet. I think um, it gives an opportunity to the Estonians to see the common history, and including the Baltic German history, even more as their own history. Normally today, in, in a nation state, um, it really makes no difference if your ancestors were of the ruling class, or uh, if maybe uh, they were even serfs, um, because still you sort of subscribe to a common history that is the national history, um, and um, that that includes both. Uh, and that's the whole point. Uh, it's very integrative. And of course, after what, what I've said before, it's very clear why this was always very hard in the Estonian or also Latvian example, um, because um, the own distinct history of the Estonians was an instrument of emancipation, really, of cultural emancipation, but also political emancipation. Uh, so you could not simply subscribe, uh, uh, include the Baltic German history uh, in your own narrative. And the Baltic Germans wouldn't have liked it either. Um, but I think that has changed now. Um, and um, I think that the former lower class can also embrace the history of the former upper class, uh, as it is quite normal in most other countries. Um, and there's some people in Estonia who have suggested that. Uh, unfortunately, hardly any one of them is a professional historian. Rather, they're outsiders. Uh, one of them is the journalist and politician Erki Niles Kross. By the way, he has worked as an historian as well, but he's he, he, he doesn't teach at a university or something. And I, I quote him um, in exactly this point. He said, of course, the Baltic Germans must be treated as forefathers of today's Estonians, just as the Estonian peasants or the citizens of Tallinn speaking in different languages. Of course, we must get to the point where we perceive Volta von Plettenberg, he was a Landmeister of the Teutonic Order, so we must perceive Wolter von Plettenberg as a forefather and predecessor, just as we perceive Lembitu. I mean, he was the leader of, uh, of the resistance against the Crusaders. Um, so now th this is really the, what what I ha have in mind, uh, a kind of an integrated history that includes both and also makes them part of Estonian history. Because if the Estonians do not take up the Baltic German history where the Baltic Germans left them, who else will? And I don't think that they will harm their own national history by that, by including the upper class that had a different language um, in their own narrative. And that is my personal opinion. Thank you for that. I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Dr. David Fist as much as I did. Dr. Fest brings up some essential points about the history of the Baltic Germans 
Estonians, and Latvians, as far as this discussion is concerned. There is a shared past that these three groups have. I find it interesting that after 700 years of domination of the Baltic region, it is the Germans that need the help from the Estonians and Latvians to keep their history and their memory alive for the future. Thank you for listening, and until next time, Nagamisenit.